0: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Mr. Brian Ronholm. He is Director of Food Policy for Consumer Reports, a nonprofit consumer organization, and probably many of our listeners are familiar with their excellent reporting over the years with regard to food safety and other products. But Mr. Ron Holmes' background brings deep legislative and regulatory experience in food policy to Consumer Reports. Prior to his role here, he was Deputy Undersecretary for Food Safety at the USDA, where he provided leadership, management, and oversight of the Food Safety and Inspection Service, which is the public health agency with more than 9,000 employees responsible for ensuring the safety of meat, poultry, catfish, and processed egg products. Mr. Ronholm also served as Agriculture Appropriations Associate in the office of U.S. Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, where he managed and coordinated activities involving key legislative initiatives for food and nutrition issues. Welcome, Mr. Ronholm. It's an honor to have you with me.
1: Thanks a lot, Melinda. Appreciate being with you.
0: So you are now, you went from a government agency to really a consumer advocacy position. And your background is interesting in that it's related to finance and public policy. And I want to know how – you've been in food for a long time. How did you get from the broader public policy side to a more narrow food safety focus?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting path, and I'd have to credit my former boss, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, and getting me involved in these food issues when my professional career began To your point, it focused mainly on general public policy issues, and it wasn't until I started working for Congresswoman DeLauro and focusing on her work on food safety issues, on nutrition, and, and she has a demonstrated history of being strong on these issues, and being able to work with her, work for her, that certainly stirred up the knowledge base for food, safety and also the passion. I mean, I think anyone who's encountered Congresswoman Deloro in policy debates knows that she's very passionate about these issues. And so it was a tremendous opportunity for me to get roped in and, and wrapped up in, in all of that work and start that trajectory toward being more consumed and, and working on food policy. It's been a great ride.
0: Well, I was attracted to one of the latest pieces that you've written for Consumer Reports, and it has to do with this One Health certified label. And the reason why I'm interested in it is because many years ago, I was at an Association of Healthcare Journalists meeting where I first learned about this One Health topic, which is under the umbrella of the CDC. And what it does is it beautifully ties together how many of the diseases that we face as people – have an animal basis. So, for example, we look at mad cow disease or we look at some of the viruses that we are facing and how they may have animal roots. And so I think that understanding One Health, especially in terms of climate change and all of the issues that we're dealing with now with pandemics, It's an important concept to understand. So when this One Health certified label came to be, I thought, oh, this sounds promising. But then I read that really it's more of a misleading label that's relatively meaningless in the marketplace. So this is a heads up for consumers who might see this label. Tell me a little bit about how you became involved in doing some review of the One Health certified label.
1: Sure. Yeah, as you noted, the One Health concept, it's an important one and it attempts to work at a local, regional, national, and international level to achieve these optimal health outcomes and by recognizing the interconnection between people, animals, plants, and the shared environment. So as you probably have discovered in the conversations that you've had about One Health, it's often referred to in these spiritual terms and almost represents a harmonic convergence, if you will, for food policy because it's viewed as an effective way to fight health issues at the human-animal-environment interface. So the agent, the government agencies that are involved in it, both nationally and internationally, they use this approach by involving experts in human health, animal health, and environmental health, and incorporate input from other sectors to monitor and control public health threats. So people are aware that this is a very important concept. So when you see the One Health certified label, it's attempting to borrow legitimacy from that existing collaborative approach. And that can be very misleading to consumers. And I think that's what led us to look into this issue. And the way Consumer Reports approaches these issues is, first of all, ultimately, uh, the product has to be safe. And that's woven throughout the organization's culture, whether it's cars, appliances, electronics, and and food. And not only does it have to be safe, but consumers shouldn't be misled in any way about the product that they're purchasing. So it's using those guiding principles to examine these labels. And what we've determined is that this One Health certified label is essentially meaningless and should be ignored by consumers.
0: Wow. What's so remarkable about this is that As a consumer, when I go into the marketplace, there are so many labels on products. And we almost get to this point where we're exhausted from all the labels. They sort of start to blur together. And so adding another label into the mix makes it even more confusing for consumers. And it's my job as a consumer educator then in the food and health space to help consumers understand well what labels really matter. And I like labels that have third-party independent oversight. So for example, the USDA organic label, there are legal standards, there is an annual inspection, on-farm inspection, and I think it's one of the most reliable and trustworthy labels in the marketplace. There are other labels, and you're familiar with this area of work, too, where you've got non-GMO labels as well, and that enters a little bit more of confusion about what consumers or how consumers interpret these labels. I don't know that One Health is really understood by many consumers. I mean, I think that, yes, you might hear it presented at a CDC conference or a health conference, but I don't know how much I've heard consumers actually talking about One Health and what that means i do like the way you talk about it in terms of this spiritual way of looking at how really how we're all connected the environment animals plants people and the health of one impacts the health of another and if i if i had to sum this one health up that's how i would say it and i think antibiotic resistance is an area underneath this label that really deserves our attention. I believe the CDC has identified antibiotic resistance as one of the top five public health concerns. So if a person then goes to the One Health certified website to learn more about it, it would appear that consumers are getting a little extra protection in that area, but I'm not so sure that's true.
1: No, that's right. That's absolutely right, Melinda. And you you bring up another a number of excellent points about labeling and and what it means to a consumer. It labels on food packaging, you know, they're meant to tell a number of stories about a particular product. Whether it's you know identifying a particular ingredient, explaining how it's produced, or helping consumers determine whether it's healthy. They also serve as an important source of information for consumers who have food allergies, which is a growing issue. So these are important stories that consumers want to find out about the products that they're purchasing in the store. So it's critical that they're not misled in any way. And unfortunately, you know, there are some labels that have more to do with marketing hype than actually providing information that consumers can trust and, one Health Certified is a good example of that. And when you visit their website, they outline some standards that companies have to comply with in order to fix the a label on their product. And a lot of them that deal with, again, borrowing from the One Health concept, issues such as animal welfare, antibiotic use, environmental impact, concepts like that, that a lot of consumers feel are very important. But when you read the standards, the criteria more carefully, you'll see that it's not really calling for much action for the producers to be eligible to fix this label. And so it has a great potential to be misleading to consumers. It gives them the feeling that they're purchasing a product that they feel they're being responsible when, in fact, it's just a sign that normal operations are in play here.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Mr. Ronholm, one of the issues that I try to bring home to my audiences is the issue of media literacy when we look at some of these labels. And one of the core tenets of media literacy is understanding who owns the messages. So if we look at the One Health certified label, my first question is, who is behind this? We see that it's a USDA ag marketing service, that it has that oversight, but who created this?
1: Yeah, I think it speaks to a misconception about certain labels, especially ones that are run through the and overseen by the agricultural marketing service that you mentioned. A lot of these are called process verified labels and essentially what they are is they originate from the industry or from the university department and they'll put together these standards working closely with industry and they'll put it before AMS, the Agriculture Marketing Service, the USDA. And AMS doesn't necessarily have oversight or approval responsibilities as it relates to these labels. All they're required to do is to verify that the standards that the industry has set is being followed. So it essentially it's meaningless, but it gives the perception that there's this government approval for the safety and quality. Of the product. And I think that's an important point for consumers to have in mind when they see these process verified type labels, such as One Health certified, that it's not essentially being supported by strong standards or overseen with whether they comply with stronger regulations. It's just meant to kind of convey a marketing tactic in the hopes that consumers purchase that product.
0: Hmm. This is so confusing for consumers, isn't it? Under that idea that, you know, the government is, depending on how we expect our government to behave for us, I think there's an expectation that the government is somehow looking out for us. And at the same time that we've got this One Health certified nonsense label, really, coming out of USDA Ag Marketing Service, there's also the USDA organic label that's coming out of that same office that does have... I believe, validity. So how do we help consumers navigate these different labels under the same USDA authority?
1: Absolutely. It takes a lot of work for consumers to kind of navigate this Byzantine process. To your point, you're absolutely right about the organic standards. Those are based on strong regulatory standards that have to be met in order for that label. In It's sort of in AMS's defense on labels such as One Health Certified. Under the law, it's, it's not their responsibility to oversee or approve these labels. The way the laws are written, the way the regulations are written, they don't have that responsibility. They're merely verifying the process that's laid out by industry, so they don't have any type of authority over them. But in terms of the organic standards, that is based on strong standards that need to be followed again, it takes a lot of work for consumers to recognize that difference. And we try to fill that role through our rating systems that we have on our website to help consumers identify which labels are legitimate, which ones you can trust and recognize that they're based on strong standards that are being closely monitored and followed, or which ones are essentially meaningless, such as the example you have highlighted with One Health Certified, it's when looking at the standards, it's essentially getting a gold star for doing something that you typically would do.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll dive into some of those particulars, but let me just take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Mr. Brian Ronholm. He is Director of Food Policy for Consumer Reports, which is an independent nonprofit member organization that works with consumers for truth, transparency, and fairness in the marketplace. He is also a former deputy undersecretary for food safety at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and prior to that worked closely with Representative Rosa DeLauro, a great food and nutrition advocate based in Connecticut. All right. There are a couple of points I want to bring forth. I do want to dive into some of the issues that One Health Certified brings up just so that our listeners can understand just how tricky and gnarly these issues are. But you mentioned something else, and that is this relationship with universities and how oftentimes what happens is maybe industry will work with a university and then borrow that university's credibility to bring something forward that might not have as much credibility if that university, say, professor, was not attached to it. Do you see that that is happening with the One Health Certified as well?
1: Yes. It appears to be happening based on the uh, the research we've done on this particular label in that it was a situation where a meat and science department, food safety center at a particular university, worked closely with few members of the industry to develop these standards for this particular label and come up with a criteria that borrowed from the One Health concept, the animal welfare, antibiotic use, environmental health, et cetera, to again borrow that legitimacy and convey this authority that strong principles were followed in the production of the particular product. And that should be especially disconcerting for consumers knowing that There are these situations where industry is trying to borrow the legitimacy of these university research centers, also understanding that a lot of times these research centers are in need of funds to conduct a lot of their research, and industry has those funds and can appropriate them accordingly. And so it creates kind of a difficult situation for everyone involved.
0: Absolutely. And I think you hit on really the crux of the issue is that we have land-grant universities, which often have the meat science departments, really being underfunded with public monies, which leaves them very vulnerable when somebody comes from industry with a heavy paycheck. Are you free to say what which university it was? Were there multiple universities? Somebody told me that it was Iowa State University, but I don't know that for sure.
1: That's right. That was the information that we have. Iowa State. Iowa State.
0: Yeah. And it's unfortunate, too, because from a consumer perspective, I think we've been brought up with the understanding that university research is top-notch. I mean, that's what we should be trusting. So it leaves consumers, again, in a lurch where you see something, you can't just rest on those laurels and say, yep, it's credible, I can go with it. We still, as you mentioned earlier, we have to dig deeper, and it's a lot of work, and it's a reason why I really appreciate and promote the work that's done at Consumer Reports, because I do think that it doesn't have those dubious relationships with funders. So let's dive into some of these meaningless One Health Certified Label Standards. So everybody cares about animals, right? Animal welfare is a big issue. There are some responsible animal welfare labels out there. The fact that the One Health Certified Standard brings in responsible animal care And yet, the fine print which you bring forth is that for chickens, the indoor space requirement is less than one square foot per bird, and there's no requirement for access to the outdoors. So how exactly is that responsible animal care?
1: That's absolutely right, Melinda. And responsible animal care is featured prominently at the top of this particular label in really bold letters. So when you see something like that, you expect to have animal care standards that take into consideration overall welfare, uh, free range, uh, if not free range, then then plenty of room, sanitary conditions, and and indoor space where there's enough to move around and not get too dirty. But that's not the case that we've seen with this particular label and the requirements. And so if, if there's no requirement to equip these indoor living spaces with features that allow chickens to engage in natural behaviors, how are you able to describe that as responsible animal care? And even basic allowances such as controlling indoor ammonia levels produced by animal waste, you know that's not required under this label. So it's completely misleading to put you know, not only to fix the One Health certified label on the product, but then also to feature prominently the, the responsible animal care component of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent overview on that one. Here's another one that's near and dear to my heart, and I know to Consumer Reports as well, and that has to do with antibiotic use. The One Health certified label standards place some restrictions on the use of antibiotics. But it allows meat from animals that have been treated with antibiotics to be sold with the label. So the consumer has no way of knowing that there are more or less antibiotics used in the meat they're buying with that label. Is that a correct assumption?
1: That's absolutely right, Melinda. and it you know it removes the implied incentive in the label that producers reduce the use of antibiotics and attempt to address the root causes in a meaningful way that's consistent with the One Health concept that's important to a lot of stakeholders around the world. So, you know, in addition to medically important uses that you've outlined, the, the standard also allows for antibiotics to be administered to control disease and expedite animal growth. And that's the kind of use of antibiotics that we're trying to eliminate because, as we all know, antibiotic is a crit- has become a critical public health issue and to getting to a point where there's reduced judicious use of antibiotics is absolutely important and it's an issue that we need to address and having a, a misleading label like this certainly doesn't help that process.
0: Exactly. And that's the loophole with antibiotics, isn't it? That farmers are are they still permitted to use antibiotics to speed growth or They're used for growth efficiency, so they gain more weight on the set amount of feed. But if they don't use them for that reason, or if they're not allowed to use them for growth promotion, they can use them to prevent disease, but that's going to go ahead and allow them to have that same feed efficiency that they were looking for in the first place.
1: That's right. They're still able to use it for disease, addressing disease in animals under the care of a veterinarian. So, I think what ends up happening is, is a lot of these areas, they're all friendly to each other in terms of trying to promote a particular industry. So, you know, there have been instances where producers can find a friendly medical professional to allow for use of antibiotics and essentially it it becomes a, a self policing situation. It's really difficult for you know, any regulators to oversee and, and keep track of.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I do like the Keep Antibiotics Working website that is through the Consumer Reports, so I will actually provide a link to that because I think this issue is just so critically important. And I was on a webinar not long ago about how many people who are being diagnosed with COVID, which is a viral infection, but they are receiving antibiotics either to prevent or treat secondary infections, or just because it's become so commonplace anymore, that that's going to add another layer of complexity into the already dangerous antibiotic resistance that we're facing as a society. So I think this issue is really front and center, and I'm really glad that Consumer Reports has that emphasis. Anything else you want to say about that?
1: No, I, I appreciate you plugging the the work and and the website. It's an important resource for people to access. You know, ultimately, there's all of these barriers that are in front of consumers in order to access meaningful, transparent information. So, you know, to our point, what we discussed earlier, it, it takes a lot of work for us to kind of push through that those barriers and make sure that we're getting the right information, that it's accurate and trustworthy and and that's at the core of what we do at Consumer Reports. And we're essentially calling balls and strikes. And we want to make sure that consumers have full, complete, transparent information in order to make the, the food purchasing decisions that they make for their families.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, I want to add one final point that the One Health certified label promises to have oversight on, and that's environmental impact. And the reason why I think environmental impact is such an important issue for us as food consumers to be aware of is the fact that we are dealing with this existential threat of climate change. And so once again, everything is connected, and the environmental section of the One Health certified label requires producers to conduct a life cycle assessment that measures their carbon footprint. However, the standard lacks any requirements to take measures to reduce those environmental impacts. So once again, it's a nothing label.
1: That's absolutely right. You know, great that it requires you to take a look at an issue. That's wonderful. I mean, we all look at issues every day. But there's, if you're not following up on any of these issues that you're looking into and and identifying the problems that exist and try to address them and correct them, then what purpose is there to, to to have this step in the process, to have this requirement, which really isn't a requirement, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I know you've done a lot of work with consumer education in your history and working with policy on the Hill. Are there any other issues that you want to bring forth while we just have a couple of minutes left?
1: Um, yeah. There. So, yeah, to your point, consumer education is, Constant. It's you know we constantly have to be vigilant about uh, food safety, about accessing the the information that we need to make the right decisions, and we always have to be mindful of of the barriers that are presented in front of us, uh, typically by the industry. So they want to they want these barriers in place to make it more confusing and misleading for us uh, to to make the right types of decisions. So. I think we need to keep our policy focus on on the kind of the public health goals for food safety and keep that in mind as we develop these policies that are meant to improve public health, uh, to reduce foodborne illness. It's just it's essential that we use consumer reports as a resource and make sure that government policy follows through to that you know, that consumers aren't misled. They can trust that the, the product that they're consuming is, is safe It's and it's not misleading.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to summarize and we're going to just one more time reiterate that if you're interested in this One Health concept, it's beautiful and it's available through the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I will provide a link to that if people want to learn more about the real One Health The One Health certified label in the supermarket on products that you may find on the shelf is not something to pay attention to. It is misleading. And even though we can go to the website and it seems very trustworthy and good, it really doesn't vary from what industry is already doing. So that's just a heads up for consumers to pay attention And I will provide a link to the excellent article that you wrote, Mr. Ron Holm, about this whole issue so that consumers can learn more and they can read more great reports. I loved the uh, Pesticide Review Report, for example, that came out in September. So that's just a heads up. I need to close because we've run out of time, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Brian Ronholm, Director of Food Policy for Consumer Reports, which is an independent, nonprofit member organization that works with consumers for truth, transparency, and fairness in the marketplace. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Melinda. I appreciate being with you.